were really grouped together in one scroll. And they were known collectively as the Twelve. They were not regarded by God's people as twelve separate prophecies, but as one prophetic unfolding as, as that, that kind of took place in twelve parts. It, encom it encompasses a period of time that stretches about 300 years. And together, they served to paint a, a picture, a portrait of God that reveals him as a God who keeps his promises. Sometimes those promises are divine blessing. Sometimes those promises are judgment and justice. And Jonah serves this very same thing. It's a book when rightly understood reveals to us of a God who is bound and determined to keep his ancient promise. The promise he first made to Abraham that through the seed of Abraham all nations would be blessed. Now this book divides really very neatly into two main sections. Chapters 1 and 2 and chapters 3 and 4 and you go well that's pretty obvious. But you can identify each of these sections by the opening. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. You see it in chapter 1, 1. You see it in chapter 3, 1. So it makes for an easy division. Each of these two big sections are divided into corresponding subsections. You have the Lord's commission to Jonah and Jonah's response in both of these sections. And we get to see as we move toward the very end, you know, first we see Jonah's reaction when God blesses him and saves him. We see Jonah's reaction when God actually saves the Ninevites. And we, in the end, we get to see what Jonah's heart is really like. The heart of the prophet who ran from God's command. So let's start off looking at God's call to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. So God called Jonah and commissioned him to preach to Nineveh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Whenever you come across this phrase, you need to take notice because this tells you something very specific about Jonah, that he is not some self-made, self-called, self-appointed man who just is speaking up words that he's conjured up from the resources of his own mind. There were plenty of prophets in this time that were not true prophets of God, that were just speaking things that people wanted to hear. But Jonah here was a man who bears the authentic mark of a true prophet. He had been made the recipient of the word of God. And he was called to go to Nineveh. Now, let me explain something about Nineveh. Nineveh was an Assyrian city located east, a little bit east of today, what would be the city of Mosul in modern-day northern Iraq. And Nineveh, get this picture in your mind, Nineveh 
had a great double wall protecting the city. It was a mighty city. There you would have found famous hanging gardens. You had dams that had been built for water. You had parks. You had a 50-mile aqueduct. There were great roads, a great library. And this is all known from excavations. It covered some 850 acres. A great city in terms of its size, its splendor, its influence. But it was also a wicked city. So says the Lord. And sometimes the Lord decides to judge immediately. And sometimes he decides to warn of his impending judgment. And here, with the wickedness of Nineveh in view, God summoned Jonah to go and denounce the city within its own walls. Remember, God is a holy God. You know, the things that you and I get used to, not maybe in our own lives, but just living with, seeing on television, the things that go on in our city, lying, cheating, adultery, hatred, even murder, that a city becomes accustomed to. Things like that would certainly lead God to judge the Assyrians. And I wonder how long it's going to take before it leads him to judge us as well. But you see, God wasn't just concerned about his own people, Israel. He's concerned about the whole world. And so he called Jonah to go and testify of God's word of judgment that was coming on that city. You know, as, as Christians, we can t kind of take a, a step back and use this to remind us that our salvation did not begin with us. I think sometimes we just get rolling in our Christian life and we tend to mistakenly think that we just somehow saved ourselves. Maybe somehow the person that brought the gospel to us saved us. But even behind the person that would be preaching the gospel or would have brought the gospel to us, there is God who quickened their heart, who led them to you. Sovereignly, God has his good news or had his good news shared with all of us. But think about this. The God who created his people by his world, by his word, who called forth Israel, was now going to judge Nineveh by his word. But as we read on, something different happens in verse 3. However, you know, after God gives a command, and you read a word that says however or but, this is not a good sign. <laughs> however or but, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from, from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, if you notice just this little structure right here, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, found a ship to Tarshish. He paid the fare to go to Tarshish. That's emphasized three times to let you know that Jonah is running from God. So Jonah's response to the call of God was to disobey. 
He literally ran from God's will. Now you see, Jonah was in Galilee, which would have been in northern, northern Israel. To go to Nineveh, he would have turned east and traveled over land. But instead, he turns west, goes down to the sea to Joppa. He gets on a boat. Now, you've got to understand this too. Hebrews did not like to get on boats. So he would not do this unless he was really desperate. He got on a boat headed to Tarshish. Tarshish was a trading post kind of on the tip of Spain, on the other end of the Mediterranean. So there's really not any place that he could have been farther away from Nineveh than Tarshish. And that's where he was headed. Clear disobedience. You know, Jonah was running away from God. Let me tell you, it's never a good idea to run away from God. And if there's some matter of disobedience that you're running away from, realize that it's never a good idea to run away from God. You can never outrun God. It's a waste of time and it will only bring sorrow. You will have to give an account. Now, Jonah ran away, but God was not through with Jonah. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Now, let me make a point about this right here. Jonah has probably given... He thinks that, that things are going his way. He has made it down to Joppa. Nobody stopped him. He had enough money to buy passage on this ship. So he's looking to this going, well... Well, things are working out in my favor. Providence is my way. I've got on the ship. We are sailing. And everything's going, as we would say, hunky-dory. Everything is just fine. And so he's relaxed. He's sleeping in the ship. And the captain. Now, understand, these sailors are not Christians. They're not Jewish. They are pagans. The captain approached him and says, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on. The, the sailors say to each other, let's cast lots. Now, lots were like dice. But they would be black and white. And you rolled them. And if it was two blacks, it was no. Two whites would have been a yes. And the lots fell to Jonah. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. They cast the lots and it singled out Jonah. They said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What's your business? They were interrogating him now. And where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? And he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, interestingly, here are the first words of Jonah that we have recorded in the book, but you know, God is run. Jonah's running from God, but God is so sovereign 
that even here he makes Jonah speak praise even to these pagan sailors on the boat. When Jonah said this, then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you to calm the sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. These are pagan men. And your first thought might be, well, that's easy enough. They don't care for what person's life, so they would just toss Jonah overboard. But these men actually cared for Jonah. It says, nevertheless, these men rode hard to get back to dry land. So they were trying to, they, they valued Jonah's life. It says, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. They, so they called out to the Lord. Now they're crying out to God. Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Then what happened? The men feared the Lord even more and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They're no longer praying to their pagan gods. They're praying to the God of Jonah. They're praying to the Yahweh now. What a surprising twist of events. God sent a storm to get Jonah. You know, when Jonah told the sailors that, that it was God, the God who had made the seas, oh man, they were terrified. The storm, the story could have ended with them all making it back to shore, but God wasn't going to let that happen. So they threw Jonah overboard, and these pagan sailors repent and believe. God can save in the most amazing situations now the story could have ended here with this fleeing prophet being tossed overboard and the sailors getting saved and the storm becoming calm but god's not through yet not only did god allow jonah to escape but he 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 well he doesn't allow him to escape from god and he doesn't allow him to drown verse 17 now the lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed. You see, Jonah's been rescued now. He lifts up a psalm of thanksgiving to the Lord. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The waters engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth with its prison bars closed 
behind me forever. But you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What a wonderful passage this is. The God, we can see how God used the storm. He used the fish to bring Jonah back to the place God wanted him to be. Think about this. I mean, we've got storms. Even today, storms can destroy mighty ships. Storms could, in, uh, even in this time, recent times, destroy many ships, navies, fish. Great sea creatures can kill the strongest of men. But God used the storm. He used the fish for his own purposes. Consider when you read Jonah, the great deliverance that God worked in his life. But also consider what deliverances God has worked in your own life. And praise God for it. You, we all were at one time as lost as fleeing Jonah. Our plight was just as bad as his. And yet God saved you and me. We, are, we need to remember this and give praise for this. We all, as believers, may have come to faith in different ways at different times. But what we all have in common is deliverance from God's just punishment for our sins. A punishment which is far worse than a raging sea or being swallowed by a great fish. Well, the story of Jonah could have ended with chapter 2. With Jonah being back on dry land, giving praise to God. Jonah's alive, but he's not in Nineveh. And so we look at chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I will tell you. This is amazing. You would think that it's all over for Jonah. He's disobeyed God. He's run. Boom. God's going to strike him down. And God gives him a second chance. Take two. Or in golf terms, this is a mulligan. You get a do-over. This is God's second call to Jonah. Oh, it would have been so much easier if Jonah had obeyed the first time, wouldn't it? But God isn't done with Jonah. He calls him again to preach to Nineveh. You know, I see this and I see that, that the holy God, the just God that we worship is also a God of second chances. And I would say that we have all, even if we don't realize it, have experienced many second chances. You know, you may feel that God has given you a specific responsibility or put you in a situation at one time or another, 
and you just blew it. I mean, really blew it. And you feel terrible about it. It still weighs on you, maybe. Well, you need to look at this and realize that the God we worship, the God we love, the God we serve, is the God who gave hope to Adam after the fall. Whatever you may have done, whatever thing that you that God may have told you to do and you just blew it, well, get this. It's nowhere near as great as Adam plunging the whole human race into eternal misery. Think about this God that we serve and love. The God who took the malice of Joseph's brothers and worked it for the provision and sustaining of his people in a time of famine. This is the God who forgave King David. He forgave Mary Magdalene. He forgave me. This is the God who gives his own spirit to us and makes us a new creation. This is the God who has died for what you and I have done wrong so that he can give us Christ's righteousness. So we see here that God called Jonah again. And how is Jonah going to respond? Verse 3 of chapter 3. So this time, Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. You know, this time he gets up and he goes. And I think about this here, that Jonah had a second opportunity. We need to think about opportunities as well. You know, are there opportunities that we've had to obey the Lord and we haven't? I think one of the things that we can take hold of here is that we do serve a gracious and loving God. And he will give us fresh opportunities even when we have failed him in the past. Now Jonah preached, in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. And what happened next? The men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king, the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne. He took off his royal robe and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles. No man or beast, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. And so God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. The Ninevites repented and believed, and God showed mercy. 
The story could have ended here. It might really even make sense to end here. Jonah has finally obeyed God. The Ninevites have turned and repented. But we haven't got to the point of the story yet. Let's continue on in chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. He knew this about God, and he did not want this to take place for the Assyrians because they were enemies of Israel. And he goes on to say, And now, Lord, just go ahead and kill me. Please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. He's saying he would rather die than see the city of Nineveh be saved. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied. It's right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and it perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? God is compassionate. You know, the king of Nineveh wondered if God was compassionate and found out that he was. And Jonah knew that God was compassionate. This is the same God that in Exodus, when he revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am Yahweh. Moses said, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. Rich in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. Forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. This is what the book is about. God here, who is great in compassion and great in power. God provides for our comforts and our losses, and our trials. The vine here was provided for Jonah's comfort, but for a greater purpose than just his comfort. God was teaching Jonah something. 
If Jonah had concern over a vine that grows up and then dies, how much more should he have concern for the people of Nineveh? And this last verse is really kind of the peak of it all. It sums it up. Because God had initially promised to Abraham, as I mentioned before, that he would make his people a blessing to all nations. And here is an occasion where this is being worked out. God's love extends to all of those who are made in his image. And we have to ask, why did Jonah act the way he did? Could it be that Jonah was resentful of God's mercy toward his enemies? Jonah loved his own country and he knew that Assyria was a threat to Israel. As a prophet, Jonah may have even known that God would use Assyria over the next few decades to even destroy the northern nation of Israel. And so Jonah, even as a prophet of God, was graceless and merciless, even when he had experienced God's grace and mercy in his own life. It kind of reminds us of the story of the ungrateful servant that Jesus told the parable of in Matthew 18, the servant who was forgiven but would not forgive others. You know, Jonah and Nineveh both deserved judgment. Neither of them deserved to be rescued, but God in his grace saved both. And in response to Jonah being saved, he gives an eloquent expression of praise, a psalm of gratitude to the Lord. But in the salvation of the Ninevites, Jonah is filled with anger and resentment, so much so that he would rather die than live with the awareness that these people would be recipients of God's grace. Do you realize in the story that the created order eagerly obeys the Lord? The wind obeys, the sea obeys, the fish obeys, the plant obeys, the worm obeys. They are all obedient servants. In this story, it's only the man of God who does not obey. And yet, despite his defiance, God still used him in an unbelievable way. I mean, think about it. Given Jonah's attitude, look what, look what God accomplished. Jonah fled his divine commission. And what happened? An entire crew of sailors ends up worshiping God. Jonah speaks in, in Hebrew. It would have been basically five words in the city of Nineveh. And the whole city repents. I mean, no prophet anywhere in all of scriptures had such success with so little effort. Sadly, he knew nothing of the joy that such fruitfulness could bring. I could hear the joy as Mary and, and Carly you were talking about being able to pray for this moment. You got joy out of it as well. And because of Jonah's heart, he never experienced the kind of joy that we see when someone repents and turns to the Lord. Look at this last verse again. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, 
which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. You know, we don't know Jonah's answer to this final question. But we do know God's answer. That God cares about everybody, all people from all nations, from every tribe and tongue and nation. And yet, amazingly, Jonah points us to Christ. You know, at one point in Jesus' ministry, when the Jews of Jesus' day wanted a sign, they wanted a miracle to prove the truthfulness of his claim, Jesus said they would only get the sign of Jonah, meaning the resurrection. You know, God spent three days delivering Jonah from the sea inside a fish. Three days delivering Nineveh from destruction through Jonah's preaching. Three days delivering sinners from sin through the crucified Christ being in the grave. Bearing the sins of those who would repent and come to faith. Jonah, like Jesus, was a preacher from Galilee who brought news, good news, to God's enemies. But that is where the similarities end. Where Jonah was reluctant, Jesus was willing. Where Jonah complained, Jesus went meekly. Where Jonah was merely uncomfortable, Jesus was scourged and beaten. And when Jonah merely preached, Jesus was crucified and died. What do you think of Jonah right now? Are you kind of feeling confident that you see all of his problems and you're glad that you're not like him? Are you praying a prayer that says something like, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like this man Jonah. Wasn't there a prayer like that in the New Testament? Uh, well, as I read through this book and prepared... Honestly, this is how I felt a lot of times, going, boy, I'm glad I'm not like this. And you know what happened? I realized that my own heart was not where it should be. I realized that I'm a, probably a whole lot more like Jonah than I'm willing to admit. Maybe I don't have hate about the thought of enemies being saved. But if I were to admit it, there are times when I've run from God, when I've not wanted to do what He's asked me to do. There are times when I've complained instead of ask, instead of obeying willingly. You know, the Bible Scripture shows us the, the depth of God's concern for people. You think about Hagar and Ishmael when they're sent away and God provides for them. If you remember the story of Naaman, who was the commander of the army of the king of uh, Aram out of 2 Kings 5, he had gotten leprosy and he's healed by the Lord. In Isaiah, we have a prophecy. It says, The Lord of hosts will bless them, saying, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. 
are blessed. In fact, it is God's desire for people to repent that explains the time that we live in now until the return of Christ. And it's what Peter was teaching when he says the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand it as delay, but he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God is and has always been more concerned about reaching the lost, about reaching the world, than his people are. You know, there's one other point here that we see. And we see the heart of the prophet here. And I think it asks us, as I've already said, it asks us to question our own hearts. God would have us conform our hearts to his. But I think we need to ask and even every day watch over our own hearts and ask ourselves where is there any coldness in my heart toward the things of God you know Jonah did not stand in isolation really Jonah represented an entire nation that had confused that had gotten confused between being the elect of God with being the elite of God. As a nation, they were smug in their exclusivity. And they had run away from their calling as a witness to the world, the one true God. But you and I, living now past the day of Pentecost, we know clearly the Great Commission And I think the story calls us to ask questions like this. What is our obligation to the sinful world? Is it our greatest concern to have meaningful engagement with a lost and dying world? Or maybe we ask, what are the indelible messages we are conveying to the next generation, to children. What are we conveying to the children regarding our relationship to society? How deeply does our compassion run for those who are not Christians? And even as a church, does the disposition of our congregation reflect the heart of God or reflect the heart of Jonah? How do you answer? As a, as a closing prayer, I want to read a poem called The Flame of God. So if you would just bow with me, please. From prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self 
O Captain free, thy soldier who would follow thee. From subtle love of softening things, from easy choices and weakenings, not thus are spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified. From all that dims thy Calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, O Lamb, O Flame of God. Father, may that truly be our prayer. That you would give us love that leads the way. That you would give us a faith that cannot be dismayed. That you give us a hope and a passion that burns like fire. May we be the fuel. O flame of God. Father, we give you thanks. And in your holy name we pray. Amen.